Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of July 2012. Newcomers, make sure you, you make good use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find well over a thousand free audios for download and you can also get print-ups as well of a lot of the talks I've given if you go into alanwattcentral.eu. And uh, remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't use it as a business, basically. I don't have shares in companies or things that are sold. Therefore, it's up to you, the listeners, to back me up and buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or donate. And to do so, you can go into the website to show you how to do it. But from the U.S., you can use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. You can send cash. You can use PayPal. Across the world, you can use um, your Western Union, PayPal again, and uh, there's, there's a couple other things you can do as well through the post office if you really want to. Now, what I do is go through the history of the big system that's become very, very evident in your lifetime right now as you're going through the changes. This is the, the time for change. This is the century of change. Uh, people have been working for well over a 100 years. You can actually go back a few hundred years, but they came out openly a 100 years ago and decided that they themselves, that the elite of the world, had the right to, to organize the world the way that they said it should be run, basically. They had no problems with eugenics. They believed they were the top of the species. And they'd proven it by getting to the very top and holding on to positions of power for generations. And they had no problem, too, bringing in slavery. In fact, uh, Charles Galton Darwin said there's always been slavery in one form or of another. And in his book, The Next Million Years, he says, we're now in the process of creating a more efficient form of slavery. And they've done it. You're all in it whether you know it or not. And the purpose for you is to pay taxes and to serve the greater good of society. And the greater good, of course, is decided by those at the top who run the world like a private club. And basically they are comprised of private clubs all working together, an umbrella organization, you might say. They have their own foundations which finance thousands of non-governmental organizations and thousands of um, even TV faces that give you all your nice panda shows on television and wildlife shows. They finance so much of what you see on television, it's just incredible. But they also put their own members into politics, into the Council on Foreign Relations, and they also put a big amount of your bureaucrats and your central governments into their jobs as well. So this has been going on for an awful long time, and right now you're going through transformation. Uh, this is a time for changes, as I say, but they also call it the great transformation as we go into this new kind of socialist system of tracking, tracing government agencies on your back for everything. And this is just the start of it. 
There's nowhere where they want to go, believe you me. They're going to go all the way with this from birth to death. And some countries have trials of this right now. Uh, even little countries like Scotland, they're using birth to death tracking. All information on you, health-wise, mental-wise, and literally mental testing uh, from, from babies right on for your entire lives to make sure you see that they start breeding the right kind of slaves for the next society, the society that most of you want to. You'll see a glimpse of it here and there as it comes in, but most of you will be dead by the time it's really finished, around the, the, the year 2050 or so. And they publish this kind of stuff in their own textbooks. Academia is a big, big part of it, of course. This is the com- complete media out there to give you a fake reality. And academia has been on board with this because they all think, of course, being specialists and experts and scientists, that they know, also know better and how the world should be run. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and we always get spells cast upon the world once in a while. Big spells. 9-11 was a big spell. And of course the world goes into shock as desired. And uh, we also had repetitions, psychic driving they call it, of the same shots for, for, for days and an end of the towers getting hit and eventually them going down. And that's called psychic driving to, to get a point across. It gets embedded in your head. And the idea of that psychic driving type of visualization was taken from racing cars years ago. And they did studies on it too, that uh, the people who saw them over and over and over again would, would remember them for the rest of their lives, that particular accident. And they'd even have dreams or nightmares about it. So they use the techniques now in the, in the world when they want a big point made, a big point with an agenda behind it. And we know that, that the world, um, the United Nations organization uh, back in the 60s had uh, a treaty designed to register all small firearms across the whole planet. Eventually the UN's have been in charge of everything across the planet, of course. They pretty well are at the moment. But they're a front group again for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the big group that set up this world system with the Council on Foreign Relations uh, as a, a basically their, their American uh, compatriot. And right now they've got another big uh, gun bill going through too. It wouldn't be signed too, so everything would be registered. And registration, of course, means you no longer own that thing. Even your car is the same thing. You register something, it's not yours anymore. It's a legality, and it can be taken from you anytime they want. But we get spells cast, as I say, and the more bizarre nowadays, you see, it has to be a really bizarre spell today to get through to the general public. And so Disneyland becomes reality. And Disneyland certainly has been a big part of your programming all your lives for those who've watched it, right down to the loving, the, the cuddled little animals, etc., to do with nature, so that they can stop you getting into nature eventually. And, and that's the only place you will ever see it is on television because they're taking over massive parklands as they bring in Agenda 21 and start concentrating the people from the rural areas into the cities. Now, this later so-called Joker attack is so bizarre, of course, that uh, and nothing makes any sense to it at all, uh, that it has to be contrived in a very clever way. 
And I'm not talking about the Joker himself, because um, he's got all the, the traits of, of a guy who's mind-bombed, obviously mind-bombed. And not only that, there's not enough information on his background to even give you a thread of having these kind of mental problems. But uh, it'll have the desired effect, of course, because now everyone will be terrified to go into theatres. And here's an article here, for instance, you know, we always know what's going to happen. But the, the Department of Homeland Security and FBI um, give a warning out in May 17th, 2012, about uh, movie theatre attacks. And uh, it says... Um, Obama and friends warn law enforcement nationwide of a theatre attack two months before it happened. Barr even told us it would be a deranged lone wolf shooter while running practice drills nationwide for it. And they were running uh, some practice drills nearby, but I actually on this very thing when it happened. Obama left his fingerprints all over the crime. It appears FBI attempted to remove uh, from the Internet a warning from two months ago that the U.S. theaters would be attacked. FBI documents showing a terrorist warning issued May 17, 2012, to watch out for possible attacks on American theaters disappears from the Internet after the gunman, this uh, the Joker, opened fire early uh, Friday on a suburban Denver movie theater, leaving 12 people dead. A new video posted on YouTube claims that the PDF document warning FBI on possible attacks and possible attacks on U.S. theaters has been removed from the Internet minutes after it was put on Facebook. However, the cache is there, and I'll put a link to that tonight. So they, they always know what's going to happen, of course. And even that's part of the spell as well, the warning first. Like 9-11, nobody knew it was going to happen except Israel. Israel knew. They warned the U.S., uh, the head of MI6 in Britain warned the U.S. That was on the BBC the, the day that it happened. Uh, everybody knew it was going to happen except apparently the U.S. Well, it had to happen, you see, or you wouldn't get this whole war scenario going on, this constant warfare, constant conflict we're going through today. So anyway, I'll put this link up tonight and a whole bunch of other ones. And it says that the former Homeland Security head has got heated political rhetoric uh, threatens public safety. Former Secretary of Homeland Security Michael Chertoff said Sunday the rise of incendiary re- political rhetoric in recent years threatens public safety. I mean, they brought this guy in from outside, from another country, as you all know, to, to run the U.S. And he also pushed all the scanners, and then he pushed the company that sells them uh, and has partnerships with them too. I mean, good business plan. These guys use your countries like private businesses. Anyway, he says, no one can say that any particular comment leads to a madman to decide to do this, but I do believe that the general coarsening and aggravation of the dialogue, the fact that disagreement is often characterized as a matter of people having enemies or wanting to commit acts of violence, does affect some minority of individuals, and that raises the danger to everybody, he said on NBC's Meet the Press. Chertoff made his comments in response to a 1995 quote from former President Bill Clinton after the Oklahoma City bombing. We hear so many loud and angry voices in America today whose sole goal seems to be trying to keep um, the rest of us all torn up and upset with each other. They spread hate. They leave the impression that by their very words that violence is acceptable. And so anyway, Representative Carolyn McCarthy, a leading gun control advocate whose husband was killed in the 1993 Long Island Railroad shooting, endorsed Chertoff's comments and admonished some of her colleagues. She says, since I've been in Congress, I've seen over the last several years the deterioration of working with each other, McCarthy said. We listened to the words of some of my colleagues that are inflammatory. Just in the past last week, a few of my colleagues came out with statements on other people, uh, which are absolutely not true. 
So they're all fighting themselves to do over Bachman and so on as they all have their in-house uh, fighting going on. But uh, they also obviously, obviously, they they want to to start uh, uh, checking everybody's uh, speech now. Of course, it's all part of the speech thing. It gives more power for the internet guys who to oversee you and take notes of who is saying what, thinking what, etc. Until you will, you are going to be taught to think about every word that comes out of your mouth or anything that you type up or tweet or anything like that because that's a system that's planned. It was planned a long time ago and it's actually called in neuroscience self-policing. They teach you to police yourself rather than just teach basic uh, political correctness by force or threat. Uh, they simply teach you to to be a policeman over your own mind. And of course, the policeman that you'll have is the one they design for you. You'll adopt that one that's safe. You see, very simple. You're living through incredible mind manipulation, not just on individuals here and there, but in the whole planet right now. Now, James Holmes, this guy who became the Joker, uh, says cops are investigating his sex site profile because he did this a few days ago, apparently before all this happened. It says Holmes created the profile on adultfriendfinder.com. And, in, and on July the 5th, included a picture of himself with reddish-orange hair, just as officials in Aurora, Colorado City looked when he was apprehended Friday morning. He, it says he used the screen name at Classic Jimbo, included a cryptic message on the top of the profile, which reads, Will you visit me in prison? In his profile, Holmes says he's six foot and single with an athletic body, etc., etc., and he likes uh, group sex and all that kind of stuff. However... Uh, you'll, you'll find, as I say, that is this all real? Is it not? Is it put up after the, the fact? We don't really know. But uh, this will add to the spell, too, the, what, what the different things is into sexually, obviously. And that will add to the profile that's created, either created by him or created for him. He yeah, also, interesting, too, you often find this is the case. It's even Columbine. Uh, the Columbine uh, shooters' uh, parents were all very rich and worked in military-industrial complex jobs. Nobody seemed to, to, to notice them for years, practicing with machine guns and so on uh, in the forest, blasting away. It was just like they're all invisible, even though it's all up on, it was all up on YouTube at the time. But anyway, this one here, Colorado shooting. Suspect's small uh, hometown is shaken after a rampage. Word spread quickly in Rancho Penasquitos in San Diego County. San Diego, remember, is a big place for the big guys up in the Pentagon and, and, the, and CIA and so on and so on, and then all the, the black ops that they do. They call it the city of the gray men, the gray men, the, the go-betweens that do all the stuff in between, do the magic stuff. Anyway, it says where residents continue to grapple with the news, the suspected mass murderer hailed from their suburban community. James Holmes, who graduated from Westview High School in San Diego in 2006, was arrested after allegedly opening fire in Aurora, Colorado Theater early Friday. The second violent incident in the last year to shake the small town that its residents call PQ. Last summer, a veteran San Diego child abuse detective and her 18-year-old daughter were stabbed to death at their home. Authority charged the detective's son with the slayings. There's a lot of mind control experimentation goes on with their own children, to believe you me. And if you're a parent like this, mind you, too, you, you, you'd be like, you'd be like robots, really. You'd really be brought up like robots. 
But it says the Holmes long moved out from his parents' home in San Diego, so, so obviously they were still there, to pursue neuroscience degrees at UC Riverside and then Colorado. Former high school classmates and community members Friday said they were shocked that so much violence could be tied to their hometown, a place where families pay a premium for good schools and safe neighborhoods. But in this article here, you, you don't actually get any, any articles on anybody that knew him. You know, you just, there's just nothing there. Did, did, did anyone know this guy? That's not only what they do is find out who knew him, and they always give you this, oh, quiet fellow, you know, oh, there's nothing here at all. Is he a made-up guy? What is he, you know? And um, as I say, I'll put up some links on this tonight. This article here, real-life shooting imitates training exercise at Parker Medical School. And it says... Um, uh, the tragedy that played out in Aurora Movie Theatre Friday was ironically paralleled as a classroom learning experience in a medical school in Parker the same day. That's interesting too, because remember that two years before the Columbine shooting, uh, they actually did a video in the school with, with the actual shooters two years earlier, going around pretending to shoot all their classmates. Interesting. And the guy's father, who of the cameraman, uh, became the chief investigator into the shooting two years later. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the the parallel, really, uh, operation that was going on when the shooter was was at work that same day. It says a tragedy played out in an Aurora movie theater Friday was was paralleled as a classroom learning experience in a medical school in Parker the same day. Rocky Vista University College of Osteopathic Medicine is in the middle of holding specialized classes in disaster life support for 152nd year medical students. Along with response to natural disasters like hurricanes and floods and terrorist attacks, one of the scenarios being used to train the students is how to respond if a a shooter fires at people in a movie theater and also uses a bomb in the attack. The irony is amazing, just amazing, said Rocky Vista, Dean Dr. Bruce Dubin. So isn't it rather amazing indeed, isn't it? It's a bit too amazing. But then you always find the same scenarios. And and that puts people in a kind of schismatic way of thinking, a mode where part of their logic is trying to grasp and and say, no, that can't possibly be true without uh, coordination for all this to happen. And the other part wants to believe the news and say, well, we're just living in crazy times and we've got to give up all our rights because there's just too many madmen out there. And so they go with the latter, you see, and that's what the big boys want. But they're a form of us casting a spell, very common, actually, if you read your histories. Remember, too, that the end justifies the means. When you want something through, you make it happen. It doesn't matter what it takes or the cost. In human lives or anything else, you make it happen. It's the same thing when they want to take someone out. There's going to be a problem. Can remember the woman who was going to bring up, she was a main witness for the 9-11 inquiry, and she was flying to New York, and the whole plane went down the day before the inquiry with the whole lot. And so 50 people died to get one person. It sounds better that way because you can't believe they do that. And that's exactly what they do. These are guys, remember, who plan wars right down to the casualties they're probably having them. And they can plan the wars 20 years beforehand or more. Quite calmly, coolly, you know. Um, 
this article here is a bit off topic, but this has been an incredibly, incredibly uh, heavy year for mosquitoes in, in Ontario and other parts of Canada. I've noticed a lot of, of ads out too for different things to do with mosquitoes. And, and yet it's one of the driest summers we've had. doesn't make sense that they're just coming out like crazy. They need moisture to breed, and yet here they are. It makes you wonder where they're all coming from. And that itself could be a whole conspiracy theory, believe you me. But uh, here they come again with these articles. Mosquito pool and new market tests positive. Hi, folks. I'm back on, I think. But the, the phone line just dropped, and I think we're getting interference from third parties, probably. But uh, I'm talking about mosquitoes as well. Uh, being too profuse in Ontario for the climate we've got right now. And uh, there's been more and more mosquitoes as they go along, even though it gets drier and drier. And so uh, out comes... Uh, Guess what? The West Nile virus apparently is back again. Now I've got photographs here of mosquitoes I've caught in this area with these little jelly balls on them, red jelly balls. It's quite interesting. They're not mites, by the way. There's no legs. And uh, uh, this is not the first year I've seen them here. And I'm wondering if they're just spreading these things or dropping them or what they're doing. But they're carrying something. And I have seen stuff from the bacterial warfare departments from years ago when they experimented with these little polymer jelly stuffs uh, to carry viruses and bacterium. Makes you wonder what's really going on. But I'll put this link up to the West Nile virus outbreak once more uh, tonight at cuttingthroughmeters.com. Again, getting back to this, the spell of the poster, the Batman poster uh, character. A poster was found in his apartment and uh, like of Batman and one Batman mug. Now, fanatics and people who are into comics have their whole place littered with paraphernalia to do with their favorite addiction, basically. And uh, this guy has one poster and one mug, and, and that's that. That's not symptomatic of someone who's really into that kind of thing whatsoever, uh, not at all. So it, it's really a conjured story for this guy, obviously. But we'll never get to the bottom of it, and the big boys will make sure of that. Mind you, they can give you so much information to really bend your mind that they know most people actually switch off. They can't handle it anymore, and that's what they do. Now, in Britain, Britain was taken over a long time ago. Remember, it was the first flagship to try all this on the world, creating a kind of socialist system with the fascists on top running all the money, and uh, that's your function, is to simply uh, produce and create taxes for the big boys to use in their big building projects and to buy their private jets and make them awfully important and get big, big bureaucracies. The big communist dream was, was massive bureaucracies and specialists running your lives. Well, here's how bad it got in Britain. Nick Clegg, this guy, what a name, Clegg, that's another bloodsucker, by the way, in Britain. You get a Clegg, it lands on you, and that'll really suck your blood. But anyway, Nick Clegg's scheme will pay for a firm to wake, to wake the jobless teens. So the government's going to pay a company to give them wake-up calls, you see? And it says here, uh, it's urged firms to be creative to get young people back to work. It's paying a company to reach teenagers up in an effort to get them back to work under a new scheme. The firm in the northeast of England said it was just one small part of, of the mentoring approach we have got. See, now that they've taken all incentive away from the mind until it's, just, it's no longer hereditary, it seems, uh, they have to start programming you and what to do. Says, and young people are also uh, driven. They're given them a scheme to drive them to interviews and help them get into the habit of turning up on time for jobs. There's socialism for you. Back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back. And we know that government is getting bigger and bigger all the time. That's all it does is expand like a cancer. And tumors come off of it, secondaries come off of it with every new law that comes out, a new, a new department for bureaucrats, you see. And bureaucrats all get their families in on the deal, too. Most of your central governments, all they have is are hereditary bureaucrats, it's all in the families. Anyway, it says here, the cost of intervention, the Competitive Enterprise Institute is a small think tank in Washington, D.C., which puts out an annual report called 10,000 Commandments. The report deals with regulatory agencies of the U.S. federal government and the cost of the regulations they continually introduce and enforce. This report would be typical of the regulatory function of pretty well every government in the world. In all interventionist economies, uh, regulations are not set by the, uh, not set by the lawmakers. The lawmakers merely pass the laws. Their enforcement is left to the various bureaucratic departments of government. And in order to enforce the laws, the bureaucrats see it as their function to impose regulations, countless thousands of them. The cost of complying with these regulations is met by those being regulated. It does not show up in the annual budgets, funded or unfunded by the government. In their 10,000 commandments, it says... uh, 2012 report, which was released in June, the CEI estimates that the cost of U.S. government regulation at uh, at present is about $1.75 trillion. That is just under half, 48% of the budget of the federal government. It's almost 10 times the total of all corporate taxes collected and almost double the total collected from individual income taxes. It's also one-third higher than the total of all pre-tax corporate profits. It is the hidden cost of doing business in an interventionist economy. The fact that the cost of complying with these regulations is substantially higher than the total of corporate profits is a stark illustration of the end result of economic intervention. That end result is capital consumption. In the U.S., the federal government lists its regulations in what is called the Code of Federal Regulations. These rules of economic game cover 100 169,000 pages, 169,000 pages, and more than 10 new ones are added every day, seven days a week, and 365 days a year. In 2011, the U.S. Congress passed a total of 81 new laws, while government agencies issued 3,807 new regulations. As the CEI points out, if there ever was an example of government without the consent of anyone, this is it. And it gives you... um, some more information, but it's true enough that we're just so over-regulated, especially small businesses, that's why they can hardly function anymore. But mind you, even Thatcher said that, that the days of small business is over. They, they made, she made sure of that too, because you had so much paperwork for the government, to, to, and you filled it in all day, you couldn't work at the job that you were doing. And she closed thousands of them down. Same in the States is happening too. And this is quite a funny one here because the World Wildlife Fund was set up again with the same boys that set up the Royal Institute of International Affairs 
that, that was to take over the world, that these are the boys to do it. So with the Council on Foreign Relations, they also with the Trilateral Commission, but they also set up big charitable foundations uh, as a massive group to cover wildlife and the land, to take over the land, the big long-term agenda. And they don't give a damn about wildlife, but they make a lot of uh, you know, nonsense and noise about that they do. This one says, Spanish WWF, World Wildlife Fund, sacks King Juan Carlos over elephant hunt. He's the head of it, this guy. And it says, the vote to abolish the position of honorary president was carried by a 94% majority. Uh, this the conversation, World Wildlife Fund in Spain has removed uh, King Carlos as its honorary president for going on an elephant hunting trip in Botswana. The World Wildlife Fund's uh, Spanish chapter voted overwhelmingly to abolish the post. A statement said, adding that safari did not sit well with the WWF goals. The king was widely criticized after news of the trip emerged in April in the middle of a severe economic crisis. Spain's royal family has faced a series of embarrassments this year. Uh, king Carlos apologized to the Spanish people for the hunting trip, which only came to light when he was flown home from Africa after breaking a hip. On an online petition calling for his resignation from the post accumulated almost 85,000 signatures by the time he made his public apology. So they're just sort of really, really upset that one of their own boys was caught hunting. But a lot of them actually at the top do, believe you me. They really, really do. And all these big organizations. Because nothing out there is really there for what you think it's for. You're living in the twilight zone. You really are. And during, before World War II, they said they'd need another war to bring the people to their knees, to bring in the United Nations and make people give up all their personal rights. And then they'd amalgamate all the countries into big blocks, and all that, which they went ahead to do, actually. We're still going through it today. But they also said they'd have to get the people off the rural areas and into the big cities. And it would take a while for them to come down through sterilization techniques, and most of them wouldn't want children now anyway. It's all been very successful. Uh, but um, they also decided to give nothing but lots and lots of programs about the wonderful wildlife and how lovely everything was. And these guys at the top are, are remember, members of the elite who go on regular hunting trips and shootings. But they don't want you to do it, of course. Everything's got an ulterior purpose. £13 trillion pounds are hoard is hidden from the taxmen by global elites in Britain. Since the Cayman Islands, this is one of the, the ones that they use, a global super-rich elite has exploited gaps in cross-border tax rules to hide an extraordinary £13 trillion or $21 trillion of wealth offshore, as much as American and Japanese GDPs put together, according to research commissioned by the campaign group Tax Justice Network. Well, each time they make new tax laws, they always make loopholes for themselves at the top. That's been admitted over many years. James Henry, former chief economist at consultancy McKinsey and an expert on tax havens, has compiled the most detailed estimates yet of the size of the offshore economy in a new report. And I'll put the link up tonight. It's called The Price of Offshore Revisited, released exclusively to the Observer newspaper. He shows that at least £13 trillion, perhaps up to £20 trillion, has leaked out of scores of countries into secretive jurisdictions, such as Switzerland and the Cayman Islands, with the help of private banks, which vie to attract 
the assets of so-called high net worth individuals. Their wealth is, as Henry puts it, protected by a highly paid industrial bevy of professional enablers in the private banking, legal, accounting and investment industries, taking advantage of the increasingly borderless, frictionless global economy. According to Henry's research, the top 10 private banks, which include UBS and Credit Suisse in Switzerland, as well as U.S. investment bank Goldman Sachs, well, of course, uh, managed more than £4 trillion in 2010, a sharp rise from £1.5 trillion five years earlier. The detailed analysis in the report compiled using data from a range of sources, including the Bank of International Settlements, and the International Monetary Fund suggests that for many developing countries, the cumulative value of the capital that has flowed out of their economies since the 1970s would be more than enough to pay off their debts to the rest of the world. Uh, Oil-rich states with an international mobile elite have been especially prone to watching their wealth disappear into offshore bank accounts instead of being invested at home. The research suggests one, once the returns of investing the hidden assets is included, almost £500 billion has left Russia since the early 1990s when its economy was opened up. A lot of folk actually fled out with the money too. They were thought the top guys that ran Russia under communism. Saudi Arabia has seen £197 billion flood out since the mid-1970s, and Nigeria £196 billion as well. The problem here is that the assets of these countries are held by a small number of wealthy individuals, while the debts are shouldered by the ordinary people of these countries through their governments. Well, that's the same everywhere, isn't it? That's the same everywhere. See, the system never, there's no system ever been democratic. You'll never get it, by the way, either. It's not intended ever to happen. You'll get the illusions of it once in a while, little whiffs of, of democracy. But the system is set up by very rich people a long time ago, even before democracy came in. But they said they'd use the term democracy to take over other countries. See, a person who thinks they're free is a really good slave. They will work harder than ones that know that they are a slave. You know, it's an old idea. Works very well. Australia, that's really getting hammered now because they've, they've got the Fabian Socialists in to do the final part of restructuring. It says Australia's building industry is in survival mode with official statistics revealing that at least two companies a day are going to the wall as labour costs continue to rise and profit margins flatline and banks play hardball on funding. The latest stats on liquidations and voluntary administration show that since January 1st, more than 363 companies in the building industry, excluding mining, have collapsed, and more than 200 of them from New South Wales and 95 from Victoria. Just what's even more alarming is the trend seems to be getting worse, with 30 building companies failing in March, in April 51, and May 63 in June, and a whopping 40 collapsing in the first 10 days of July. But that's progress, you see, because Australia's been restructured to, to blend in and eventually get merged in with China. Air Force to begin testing drone-fired lasers over North Dakota. Isn't that nice? You'll see nice flashing lights in the sky. On July 26, it says the U.S. Air National Guard will get the green light to begin firing lasers from unmanned attack drones in a vast swath of skies over North Dakota, despite the concerns of local commercial pilots. Well, what about the people? Hey, what about the people? Suppose these drones start, uh, you know, getting a little tip here and there and they end up hitting the ground. I mean, that doesn't really matter. Eh? I guess we, we're self-replenishing, aren't we? We can breed once in a while. Or we can always bring in immigration, if your own are not breeding. 
at the, at the Devil's Lake, home of the North Dakota Army National Guard, pilots train on an MQ-1 Predator drone, the most prevalent unmanned attack vehicle in the military arsenal. In late June, the Federal Aviation Administration published an updated set of rules and regulations covering Devil's Lake, uh, creating several large restricted airspaces over the Camp Gilbert C. Grafton military base. This is the reason the Air Force plans to test, uh, begins to test these potentially dangerous lasers and they're going to shoot them remotely from the drone. Sorties will be limited to the minimum necessity for training, be confined to restricted airspace. Well, how far can a laser go, eh? And be ex- executed against ground targets for laser designation completely within an existing Army small arms weapons training range. Billy Joe Laureus, public information and PR manager means that's what that means, with the North Dakota National Guard told foxnews.com. Now, PR is propaganda, remember. So everything that you hear from any spokesman for any organization is always propaganda when it says PR. And lasers aren't, aren't intended as weapons, as were those built in the jumbo jet operated by the Air Force in the Airborne Laser Test Bed Program, which was officially mothballed February. Rather, they're targeting lasers fixed on a spot in the ground, which may be used to steer other explosives to a target. The Air Force is not testing them yet, but it expects to begin soon, Loria said. Well, I bet they're doing all of that, including uh, using them for, for bringing down other craft and so on. No doubt about it. Remember, they never tell you the truth. Uh, they never do tell you the truth. That's why they have the PR specialist to talk to the media. The Marine Corps, uh, this is obviously happening in a big way. I know it's happening with the, with the hands across the sea idea that Canada and other countries have had for years where you bring in Russians and even Chinese uh, military and you help train with them on your local um, civic laws. That's what they train them in. Makes you wonder why they're bringing military guys from other countries to train them in your local civic laws. Well, and eventually it's much easier in the U.S. to because people really don't mind so much in the U.S. now they've got so much entertainment. And it says here, Marine Corps creates law enforcement battalions. The Marine Corps has created its first law enforcement battalion, consolidated units of military police officers trained to investigate a variety of crimes. Combat in Iraq and Afghanistan have underscored the relevance of such a force as Marines have increasingly found themselves playing street cop and says, um, in addition to combat duties. Now, this is a very dangerous thing because military are meant to go in and kill folk and there's been a long-standing uh, divide between that and the police because police are not supposed to, although they are doing it now, killing folk as well. I guess it's all getting kind of blurred. Uh, and they can all really just swap uniforms or maybe just use the same uniform eventually. It's all kind of black today, isn't it? And they've got their, their camo as well for urban warfare and all these toys and things which they all see me carry. In fact, the, the shooter, again, getting back to the shooter at the theatre, uh, when the, the cops caught the guy, actually they didn't really catch him. They thought he was one of theirs. He has all the gear on. You know, maybe even better stuff than they had, I don't know. But anyway... This is a bad move when uh, you find uh, battalions being created to do policing work from the military. You know, I don't care what corps it is, but it's definitely a military corps. And these guys are meant for hard, hard stuff, believe you me. We've already got, there's an article in the paper today about a judge who was off duty and he was walking down the street. The cops had a man on the ground and the, the judge actually thought that he needed some help. So he phoned for backup. 
And as we were standing there, one of the cops went over to him and gave him a karate chop in the throat, the kind that you're taught to do in the military. See, they're, they're actually hiring lots of military guys now. They have been for years. And that's why they're really heavy-handed when they deal with civilians. They don't see you as any different than a, than a person in any other country that they're taught and trained to despise. They don't. Yeah. Anyway, the judge uh, was put down by this, this punch to the throat and uh, had to go to the hospital. Proponents of Canada's online spying bill are still trying to justify excessive powers. Canada's online surveillance bill may be on hold for now, but a recent news article confirms a rather formidable figure has been arguing for its return. Richard Fadden, head of the Canadian equivalent of the FBI, that's CSIS, or Big Sis we call it here, Fadden, director of the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, wrote in a letter that the highly contentious Bill C-30 was vital to protecting national security. I'd love to see who national security is. It's not us. It's obviously a special group. The letter was sent to Public Safety Minister Vic Toews, the driver behind Bill C-30, in late February. It was released to the Canadian press in response to requests filed under the Access to Information Act. Uh, as EFF has noted before, Bill C-30 would introduce new police powers, allowing Canadian authorities easy access to individuals' online activities, including the power to force internet companies to hand over private customer data without a warrant. It would also pave the way for gag orders preventing online service providers from notifying subscribers that their private data has been disclosed, a move that would make it impossible for users to seek legal recourse for privacy violations. Well, in other words, you have no rights. Similar gag orders are frequently imposed in the United States when the FBI issues national security letters, NSLs, seeking custom information. In a case, EFF has taken on to challenge an NSL statute on behalf of a telecommunications company that received one of these secret letters in 2011. Fundamental due process and First Amendment issues arising from these gag orders provisions are a central concern. So, this will get pushed. If CSIS wants it, they'll get what they want because they serve the elites. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. A Canadian company, mind you, is doing pretty good. It's moving into the States, in fact, pretty well wholesale. And it's into what? It's into shoes. Shoes for ID. No kidding. Yep. New lab working on security shoe sold to ID people. Experts say it raises privacy questions. No kidding. A new lab is working to perfect special shoe insoles that can help monitor access to high security areas like nuclear power plants or special military bases. Concepts based on research that shows that each person has unique feet, no kidding, have you seen some of them out there, and ways of walking. Sensors in the biosoles check the pressure of the feet, monitor your gait, and use a microcomputer to compare the patterns to a master file for that person. If the patterns match the biosoles, they go to sleep. If they don't, a wireless alarm message can go out. It's part of a shoe that you don't have to think about, says Marios Savides, head of Carnegie Mellon University's new Pedo Biometrics Lab in Pittsburgh. They're getting into the act on everything, maybe even walking canes next. I mean, who knows? The lab, which has 1.5 million in startup funding, probably part of uh, the government, you know, 
It's a partnership in partnership with Autonomous ID, a Canadian company that's relocating to several U.S. cities. Todd Gray, the company president, says saw the potential when his daughter was in a maternity ward decorated with representations of different baby feet all along a wall. Autonomous ID has been working on prototypes since 2009 with the goal of making a relatively low-cost ID system. So they can put it into soldiers' boots, policemen's boots, everybody's boots, basically. And eventually it'll go into probably just the shoe itself. You'll buy them like that through Walmart, because we'll be the only place you can buy them eventually. And uh, wherever you go, they'll know where you are and what you're doing, and if that's really you. you know, It's all thought out way ahead of you know, in advance. The shooter, by the way, getting back to the shooter again, uh, it says here that he took prescription drug before the attack. He certainly looks like it on the photographs that are up there when he was in court, with his eyes are popping out. First responders to the Royal Theatre shooting at first thought the shooter was a fellow officer, and the shooter had taken 100 milligrams of Vicodin about two and a half hours before the shooting. It says uh, the 24-year-old former grad student who police identified as a shooter told police he was acting alone and tipped him to the booby-trapped explosives in his Aurora apartment. Why would he go to all that prop, prop of trouble and then just blab off and tell him what he'd done? That makes no sense either. But then he asked for a lawyer and stopped cooperating. According to sources, he had nine clips in an ammo carrier and found, and police found at least three 40 caliber magazines, a shotgun and a large drum magazine on the floor when they arrived. One source believed the ammo drum for the AR-15 had jammed sometime during the shooting. Sources described an eerie scene with dying and wounded people on the floor, strobe lights flashing through the smoke, screaming sirens and the Batman movie playing in the background. That would be very surrealistic. But mind you, a lot of people are kind of brought up in surrealism, aren't they really? They're kind of in it already. The incident started with Holmes in the theatre watching a movie for a few minutes and witnesses said he left and returned dressed in the body armour and tactical gear, according to the sources. He had a, he had a tear gas grenades, which he, he threw around and began firing three weapons, 12-gauge shotgun, the 40-caliber caliber Glock pistol, and an AR-15 assault rifle, according to sources. And then he exited the theatre, where he was confronted by at least two officers. Uh, this is a source familiar with the investigation. Indicate the police noted in reports that Holmes told them he took the 100 milligrams of Vicodin. Awfully cooperative guy after to shoot them all up, very calm in the whole bit, but completely spaced out as well. Ain't normal, folks. Ain't normal. Neuroscience is a funny thing because they do experiments, amazing ones, on their own students. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.